Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. I want to get right into the Word today, Matthew chapter 20. Brother Jones, I'm sure you probably turned and looked at me a few times and saw me grinning at you during your adult Bible class message this morning. What a great message. And the smile was because you were laying the foundation unknowingly. He taught us about who we are. It's important to know who you are. In this day and hour, we do not need a church with an identity crisis. We need to know who we are in him, not who we are in ourselves, but who we are in him. So he helped us understand who we are. Now, I'm going to try to help you to understand why you are who you are, who you were created to be, what you were created to do with who you are. You don't put cocoa mix, milk and eggs, whatever else goes into it, to build a new patio. Now, that would be kind of cool, I got to admit. And I have eaten a handful of cakes that probably could have been used as bricks. But you don't, you don't put that mixture together. You don't prepare all those things and put those together to pour your patio or your new driveway. No, you, you prepare those things because you want to put it in the oven and take it out. Maybe the family's coming over for supper. Maybe somebody's birthday party that you're preparing a cake for. You know what you've brought that stuff for. You know what you've brought it into your home for. Now, the purpose in the creation that you've made is about to be made very evident. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine, James and John, may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? At that point, the son spoke up. They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, the ten they're talking about, the other ten disciples that were not there with their mother asking for special favors from the Lord, when the other ten disciples heard what was being spoken of, 
Bible says they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. There's a lesson being taught here in this moment. I know the way you were raised. I know the government that you've grown up to understand. I know how things work here on earth. But in my kingdom, things work differently than they do here. He said, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I just want you to know by the end of this message what you were created for, what your purpose is. The authority that has been given to you has not been given to you without a purpose backing up the authority. You were created to serve. Created to serve. God bless you. You may be seated today. There's many kinds of jobs that are available. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now we are in the midst of a work shortage, and uh, what once used to be considered a premium job with people lined up at the place I work, it took me two years to get, get hired on there 30-some-odd years ago, has now got people lined up um, to come in, and most of them, when they find out what the job is about, decide to walk away and never mind. All kinds of jobs out there. There's a tech job. My son, Landon, has a job in the tech field. You know, he got a crew of guys that work underneath him that he kind of manages, and that's all about computer software and all this kind of stuff. And so he does a great job at his place of employment, and then my two son-in-laws, Christian, kind of works in the industrial field, and Bryce is kind of a mixture. He's a, a mixture of the industrial field, plus they offer services to that field. You can, uh, you can be in the agricultural industry, and there is also one other industry that I want to point our attention to today, known as the service industry. You know, I haven't really ever given it much thought until I began to kind of study into this just a little bit recently about how important, what is the importance of the service industry? When you break it all down, they, they, they break it down into different industries. In the service industry, we never stop to think what role that might play in our own world today, in our own country today. And so I'd like to just take a few moments in the outset of this message to kind of give us a slight education. It was reported in 2018 that the agricultural sector contributed about 0.86% to the gross domestic product, the GDP 
Uh, I don't know if you understand what the GDP is, but uh, it's a way that a monetary way that the world uses to help us understand what each country uh, offers to the world as far as uh, uh, their goods and services. And, and I found it very fascinating that the United States of America worldwide holds almost 25% of the worldwide GDP. At least it did by the survey that I looked at, not the survey, but the... Uh, but the, uh, uh, the information that I, that I pulled up. Uh, its next closest uh, competitor uh, is another country that, that offers about 13% towards the GDP. And so the United States of America holds a very high ranking in the world as being a major contributor to the financial areas of the world and just the operation of the world in general as far as the GDP is concerned. I think it's rather interesting how it breaks down here a little bit. We all know that we need farmers. Thank God for our farmers. Thank God for the farmers of the United States of America that really do practically feed the world. I mean, we have a, an amazing agricultural industry in this country, and I'm so grateful that this country is able to help the rest of the world out with so much of what our farmers do. God bless them for what they do. But as far as the GT, GDP is concerned, only 0.86% is added from the agricultural industry towards the gross domestic product of the United States. Now, industry, you might look at industry and think, wow, that's got to be a massive amount of industry. You look around us, you see factories everywhere, you know, and much of that has gone away to some degree uh, to other countries, but, but still, industry is still a, an amazing part of, uh, of America and what we do and who we are, but only 18.64% comes from industry. It is the service sector that contributes more than any other industry towards the GDP. 76.89%. Now, let me just uh, uh, help us understand this morning what the service industry actually is. It, it, it's that part of the economy that creates services rather than tangible goods. The building industry, you can uh, go into the building industry and sit down and talk. Uh, we just had a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody laying out the plans for the, the church, and we want to know uh, what they have to say and maybe what we're looking at as far as um, uh, cost-wise, cost factors, all those things. We need to lay all those things out. But at the end of it, if we, when the time comes for us to choose somebody that is in that building industry, at the end of the entire project, I want to be able to go over and actually see a building on that property. It's tangible. There's something there. It's more than a picture hanging on a wall. It is a tangible building, the fulfillment of that industry. Now, in the manufacturing industry, if you need a, a, a different car, a new car, you can drive down the street and find a couple of places right here in town that you can pull in and find uh, right there on their lot a car that they have manufactured that you can purchase. And when you're finished, they don't just send you out the door with a four or $500 car payment and, and a nice thought about what kind of car you'd like to be able to drive. You can actually buy the car. You can drive away 
in what they have manufactured. But the service industry is different in the fact that it is not a material good, but it is an offering of service that is the gift. I don't feel like cooking tonight, the wife says. Well, you look at her and say, well, honey, I'm just going to take you out to eat. Where would you like to go? And all the wife said, amen, that's what he should say. It's either that or frozen pizza, guys. I mean, so you grab your honey, you put them in the car, you walk out, and you drive to the favorite re uh, restaurant of your choice, and you walk into there, and somebody meets you at the door and says, how many? And you say, two. And they say, how about a booth or a table? And they, you say, oh, a booth or whichever. You, you choose, and they seat you, and they come out, and your, your silverware is right there. You don't have to get it out of your own drawer. They bring your plates out of uh, uh, food. You don't have to cook your own meal. And the best part of all, when you are finished stuffing your gut with that, that wonderful food that they have served you, you get to leave all the dirty dishes right there on the table, and you can get up and walk home because they have chosen to offer you a service. Somebody else sets the table. Somebody else cooks the food, washes the dishes. The service industry, you'll see some people that were born to be in the service industry. And then there are others that are still kind of working on it. You know, they haven't quite figured out what it takes to get a good tip. We were out to eat couple of weeks ago, Brother Sister Hopkins said, hey, you guys want to go with us? We're going to go down and do a little shopping, run around, go out to eat. We're wanting to go to Texas Roadhouse. I'm like, you had me at Texas Roadhouse. I mean, so we get down there. It's a two-hour wait. We, just, we decided we weren't going to eat at Texas Roadhouse. We went to another steakhouse down there, and it was really good food. And our waitress, you know how those waitresses are. They walk up to your table all bubbly and bouncy. Hi, my name is Mandy. I'm going to be your server tonight. Can we start you off with something to drink, you know? I'll bring your bread and your stuff out, and, you know, we'll give you a few minutes. And, and our waitress was nice, and she came out, and she was trying to take care of everything, took our orders, brought us our tea, all that kind of stuff. But I thought she was going to give us in a little bit of trouble because she was trying to serve us so well, so well, in fact, that she kept looking at Brother Hopkins and calling him sweetie. Can I get you a refill, sweetie? I'm watching Sister Sherry over here. By the third time she came out and called Brother Hopkins sweetie, Sister Sherry, when she walked away, says, if she calls him sweetie one more time, I thought, dear Lord, we got to calm this down, you know. We're going to have, a, I thought she was going to serve our waitress a knuckle sandwich. That's what I, I was so relieved when, when that waitress came out and she looked at Sister Sherry and she said, hey, uh, can I get you a refill there, sweetie? She called her sweetie too. Everything was okay after that. Sister Sherry said something I thought was hilarious. She said, hey, sometimes you got to protect what's yours. You got to protect your, you got a right to protect your property. That 
that waitress was in the service industry, but she was she you know she had some of her P's and Q's off uh, there. She wasn't really reading her crowd too well, and I know she wasn't seeing the look that Sister Sherry was giving her after the second third time that she was calling her man sweetie. Service. Economists divide all economic activity into two broad categories. Now, there's a lot of other you know, subcategories to this, but these these are the two that it that it basically boils down to: goods and services. Goods and services. You've heard of that. Goods producing uh, industries are agricultural, mining, manufacturing, and construction. Each of them creates some type of a tangible object, as I've already said. The service industry, however, includes everything else. Your banking, your communications, your wholesale and retail trade, and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. All of those other things fall into the areas of services to where they don't really offer you something that is tangible as much as they offer you a service that you need in your life. Outside of a few years in my youth where I worked on my grandfather's farm, my entire secular career has consisted of jobs that have been in the service industry. Right out of high school, I began to work at a local restaurant, and I began to deliver pizzas, and I was not good at it. My customers had to get used to cold pizza, and I got, had to get used to living on minimum wage without any tips because I didn't get very many tips. You would think growing up in the little town that I grew up in, you know, 5,000 people, that I'd know where everything was at. But, man, I, 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 if you weren't my friend and I didn't know you, I had no idea what the street names were. I didn't know what was what around there. Now, tell me, go down and make a left at the Dairy Queen, and you're the third house on the right. That's a white house. I might be able to find you. But I drove around lost all day long. I spent more money in gas, I think, than what I made on my paycheck. My next big break came when I moved away at 18 and went to work selling men's dress shoes, making a whopping $135 a week. Man, that was quite the uptick from the whole pizza restaurant business. $135 a week, we were rolling the dough. We could actually go out to Taco Bell once a week. 59-cent tacos, remember that? Boy, though, that's long gone, isn't it? You could feed our whole family, which consisted of me and my wife, for about $4.50, and that was including the drinks. But the job was a service job. And I, I, I remember the little benches. I, those of you that are my age and older, you might still remember this, where you'd sit down and, and uh, Big Joe would be on that side with his sweaty old foot, and he'd stick it out here like this, and I'd take his foot in my hand. And, and, and Can you imagine Brother Jones doing this, touching somebody else's sweaty socks, feet? No, because he's, he's better than I am. But I was desperate, and I needed money, and I'd take old Big Joe's bunions and, and try to wrap a, 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 a shoe around him and, and put something on him and sell him a shoe because I was there to serve. There's a lot of times when I stuck my face down like that and I wish I could turn my head away like, man, this guy's feet stinks. But I was serving. There was a man with a shoehorn and a purpose. 
I knew my role. About a year later from that, somebody came and grabbed me and took me down and I became management material. Bounced me around a little bit. Before it was over with, I managed three different shoe stores in three different locations at three different malls, St. Clair Square, then I went to South County Mall, then I wound up up in North County taking each one a little bump in pay, a little bit higher authority, and I, I began to move around through that, and by the end of it all, I was making right about eight bucks an hour, man. I mean, I was really, really moving the world, but we had a baby on the way. Now, for the last 30-odd years, I've been saying, sign here, please. I've been taking people's packages to them. People that meet you at the door, sometimes you leave it at the door or whatever, but they're happy to see you, especially if it's good news. But not everybody gets it. Not everybody understands. I had one customer not too long ago at a car dealership right, right down, you know, a couple towns from here. We come all the way out this far just about, and I walked in there, old German fella. I guess he didn't have any kind of a uh, of a sense of humor, and it was a small envelope about the size of a piece of paper here like that, just a small FedEx envelope. And I said, hey, FedEx, I got a package for you. You need to sign. And he's like, oh, well, what is it? And I looked at the package. I said, I think it's a transmission. Preacher humor. He did not appreciate He didn't crack a smile. And Germans, man, they, they need a sense of humor. Just add water, that's what I told him. I think it's a transmission. It's one of them transmissions where you just add water. and it, There it is. I spoke with a, a new employee last summer. She was complaining. She's like... They're sending me out, and I got a ride with so-and-so. They're training me on this new route. She said, I don't want to go on that route. His truck doesn't have air conditioning. I'm like, sister, I grew up, none of our trucks had air conditioning. It's not been to the last 15 years that they started putting air conditioning in our trucks. Thank God they finally did because I don't know if I can handle it anymore. But she was complaining about the fact that she was going to have to go to work in a truck that didn't have any air conditioning in it. Yeah, she no longer works for us. I knew that was going to be short-lived when I heard her complaining about something like that. It wasn't that she was going to be stuck in it for the next 20 years. It was just a day, and she couldn't take that. The stark reality is that most people would rather receive service than give it. I'd rather be the one sitting at the table telling a waiter, 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 more tea, please. Can I get a doggy bag, please? Can you imagine a waiter's like, get it yourself? The tip at that point is going out the window. I was planning on giving her a quarter, and now, now that's gone. People don't like to serve as much as they like being served. That's just the way that the world works. I would rather answer the door and take the pizza than be the guy knocking on the door delivering the pizza. My wife the other day said, 
oh, the, the ice storm hit Wednesday night. She said, maybe we'll order a pizza and have him bring a pizza. I said, you would literally have that guy go out and risk his life. I said, I used to deliver pizzas. I know how this works. We'll fix something at home. I'm not calling that guy and tell him, come bring me a pizza. It's not a new concept. Our flesh has been desiring to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it ever since Eve said to Adam, try it, you'll like it. I took a bite I'm okay. I didn't die. No, they didn't die immediately physically, but their spiritual man died right then and there because they found themselves in disobedience and immediately their eyes were open to what was going on around them when God was trying to protect them from so much. And ever since then, we cry, serve me, what's best for me, what makes me happy. That's our world's concept of a good life. The man who dies with the most toys wins, but that is not God's concept, and surely that's not his concept for his church. His church works on a different avenue altogether. He says, I have come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve humanity. You would think that if there were ever men in this world that we would want to emulate, it would be the disciples, the ones that were there when he was speaking this thing to them, the ones that were there when he died, the ones that were there when they saw him rise from the dead. But if that is our role model, then I'm afraid that we will sometimes fall short because even the disciples missed the mark didn't understand what it meant to be a true servant at times. In the text, Jesus is describing to the disciples what's about to take place. <laughs> He's giving them a rundown. I'm going to be betrayed, <laughs> and then I'm going to be condemned to death. They're going to tell me that, that I'm going to die. Then they're going to take me out. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me. And ultimately, I will lay down this life. Not much to rally around that. Not a good way to get people backing you right there. I don't know that anyone was fist pumping at that point, but what got their attention was what he said next. He said, after all of that, three days later, I'm going to rise again. Now, that got their attention. They liked that. The ultimate comeback. This world thinks it's so smug, but wait until we march back in, into the land in three days with our king leading the way. We're going to walk back into the kingdom and watch him set up his rule and his reign, and then everybody's going to look at us and say, aren't we something? Things aren't sounding so bad with that last line. So you're telling me you're going to be, you're going to be betrayed, you're going to be mocked, scourged, crucified, you're going to die. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, that sounds bad, but but I like the part where you said three days later you're coming back. So hey, you do all the sacrificing, Jesus, and we'll be there when it's time to receive all the glory. 
We want to be there for the victory. But we'd like to turn our heads when it comes to the sacrifice. We want to be there when Jesus triumphantly returns. But when he says, hey, listen, the kingdom that I am coming to set up is not one where uh, the one with the most power uh, is revered at the highest. It is the one who serves that I will lift up. The Bible tells us the very next thing. This is what tells me that they don't really get it. Jesus has just told them all this. The very next thing that happens is uh, James and John, along with their mother, walks up to Jesus and says, excuse me, Jesus, I know all that stuff that's bad is going to happen, but but uh, when you do get it all figured out and you straighten it all out and you you go through the tragic death that you're going through and suffer all the pain that you're going to go through, and, and when it comes time for you to return victoriously, do you mind, would you have my two sons set on your right and on your left? Would you put them front and center? She didn't say, not you, master. Anybody but you. My sons, I'd rather sacrifice my son than watch you go on that cross. But no. She didn't say, hey, that, that can't happen. Not on our watch. Maybe at another time. But if my two sons, James and John, are there, they'll protect you. They'll die fighting for you. They'll die right by your side. No, she says, when you're done serving and you're done sacrificing and you've already died and you've paid the price and you're the king, would you set my boys on either side of you, one on your left and one on your right? Jesus replied, you've got no idea what it is that you're asking. And even if I would do that, you've got the whole reason for my being here backwards. You're seeing everything through a world's view of greatness as one in a, that stands in a place or position of power. But the greatest among you, let him become your servant. He takes a moment to speak a truth. Whoever, whoever desires to be great among you, ooh, 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 that's me. Let him become your servant. I'm telling the truth here. This in our humanity. Nobody steps up to the line when it comes to sacrifice, but we've got all kinds of people in this world that will step up to the line when it comes to authority and power, but Jesus Christ says, hey, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's not the industrial world, amen, it's not the architectural world, it's not the building world, it's the service industry that will cause you to become great in my kingdom. Let this church be a church that knows how to serve each other and knows how to serve this world. It's not the way the world works to be the giver, but Jesus said, I've not come to be served. I've come to become the ransom. You can't tell me that serving isn't important. 
Because Jesus changed everything because he came to serve. He'll lead later. He'll become king of this world later. But you can't become anything in the kingdom of God of any significance without first a period of service. It begins with serving. 70, almost 77% of the GDP in the United States of America, it supports the GDP. What? Building things, giving people tangible things? No, serving others. As a matter of fact, here's something that's real interesting. You need to hear this, okay? A services-dominated economy is characteristic of developed countries. In less developed countries, most people are employed in primary activities such as agriculture and mining. Mining. That's not saying those things aren't important. Those things are are critical. They have crucial. Uh, they uh, they they are crucial uh, to the success of of any nation. We we need those things in this world. We need those things in our country. But by and large, the way that we have become a worldwide superpower is we lead the world in teaching others how to serve somebody else. There is value in serving, greater value in serving than anything else. As a matter of fact, I I would go as far as to say this church, this is a beautiful church. I walked in here the other day. I was in here by myself, and I walked in, just stood in the back of the sanctuary back there, and I looked around at this church, and I thought, what a gorgeous facility we have. I love old things. This church is almost 150 years old. I think it's 148 years old now. This building has been standing here. And since we've been here, there's been some things that have made it a little bit nicer, you know, a new new roof and new windows and different things like that. But I'm here to tell you right now, people might be drawn by what we look like on the outside here to this church. Uh, There might be some things that make it look attractive. We've got some things looking nice. There's a nice sign out front. We've got a nice parking lot with nice lighting. And those types of things might draw a person to the church, but those things will never keep a person in the church. It's not the material things. I can remember being in a in a little bitty run-down building called the Cheese Shop in Highland. Had nothing to look at, uh, not, not, had no niceties about it. Matter of fact, I would go as far as to say, and I don't want to be rude here, so if the pastor of that church, but he would agree with me, it's my brother-in-law, he would know this. It was probably the ugliest church in the city. There was bigger and better, but there was something about what was going on inside that. No, it wasn't a physical, tangible building that created the growth in that church. It was the spirit that was inside that was every bit as tangible, not in a material way, but there is a spiritual tangibility that must be felt by those that walk through the door. There must be a spirit of love, how we treat each other. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love, one, four, another hallelujah 
the lost and the broken and the hurting. They don't give a rip about how nice the carpet is or how beautiful the chandelier is, but what they want to feel when they walk into a place is, hey, we're glad to see you. Hey, we want you to be a part of this. Hey, we want to worship in a way that sets an atmosphere to where when you leave, you know that you have been in the presence of God. No, it's not an industrial thing that we have to offer. It's a service that we offer. And we offer it to God by serving those around us. Goods and services, yes. But the church has no goods unless it has a spirit of service. We've got nothing to offer. Tell you. Churches that don't have anything spiritually to offer wind up getting people through the doors with tangible things. Come to this party, that party. I'm not against using the church for social activities. That's not one of But all of those things ought to lead us to a place where we have a spiritual connection with somebody. We can relate with them. Music come this morning. Here's a scripture you've heard week after week, after week after week here lately on Wednesday nights. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. It's basically saying, go ahead and live for yourself. Go ahead and live to where you just gather in and gather in, you never have any outflow. Go ahead and live that way, but there's coming a day when all that stuff is going to be gone. I don't care how much money somebody has in their bank account, the day that they die, it does them absolutely zero good. It may go to their children. It may go to probate and be fought over. And all. It may cause more problems in your death than it ever created good things in your life. He said, whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What's a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer's in the question. He said, why would you trade something of such great value for something so worthless? Why would you trade eternity for a few short years on this earth. Years ago, there was a study conducted by the National Institute of Mental Health. found this very interesting. It took a nine-foot square metal cage designed to comfortably house 160 mice, and they started with eight mice. That colony of mice grew to 2,200 in that, nine, in that same cage. The mice didn't have to do anything. They, they were fed every day. They were watered. Everything was provided for them to keep them completely healthy and comfortable in that living domain that they lived in. And for quite some time, the mice all played their roles perfectly. The uh, males would protect their territory just as God created them to do. The female would nurture her young. But as time went on, the colony of mice grew with everything being given to them changes began to take place. 
See, God designed everything in creation for a purpose, and when that purpose is not being fulfilled, bad things happen. He designed you for a purpose. He designed you for a purpose. He created you to serve. And if we choose not to do what we were created to do, dissatisfaction can set in very rapidly. And in this particular study, it was after a little while, everything been handed to them, life was good. They had the best life a mouse had ever seen. Changes started to take place after a while, and the adult mice formed into groups. They would go off in cliques of about 12 per group. <laughs> mice gangs. <laughs> We're from the east side. They all broke off and wasn't no sense of community anymore. It was just about us 12. The males no longer protected, but they became aggressive. My, I'm picturing a mouse sitting around with a beer in his hand and a, and a wife beater t-shirt on, you know. That's just what's going on in my mind. I'm just, probably shouldn't have said that, but there, there it is. Just looking for a fight. Well, they ain't got to work, so they're, you know what? I, I don't have the energy to get in a fight. <laughs> not at my age, not as hard as I work. Somebody wants to come up and punch me. I'm like, man, I'd hit you back, but I just, I don't, I don't have the energy to, to mess with you. I'm just going to walk away and go put some ice on my nose. Females became aggressive, forced out, kicked their kids out before they were ready to, to go out. I'm done with you. Get out of the house. Don't come back. Can you imagine mama kicking you out? That ain't going to happen in your house. Your mom and daddy love you. But behave just in case. <laughs> that community that once everybody played their roles and served their purpose and they got along so well, when they didn't have to work for anything and they got everything that they needed handed to them began to change. Why? Because they were no longer serving their purpose. The young mice found themselves with no place in society, became more self-indulgent. All they did was sit around and eat, drink, and sleep and groom themselves, but showed no normal assertiveness. Their drive for life was gone. Just sat around and ate Cheetos and played video games all day long. Got fat. Five years' time, out of that 2,200 mice that that colony grew to, not a single one survived. That is mind-boggling to me. Not a single mouse survived. Would you stand with me today?
I want you to hear what I'm about ready to say. The happiest that you will ever be living on this earth is when you learn how to serve others. I'm not talking about being their slave. There's a big difference between being a servant and a slave. We have been called to serve him, but we are called to serve him by serving those that are around us. If we only come to church to get what I can get out of it, and then I'm out of here, I'm done, don't ask me to go out of my way to take care of this or take care of that or do this. We have been blessed with such a, a servant spirit in this church. I looked around the other day. I come up here, and there were people all over this church. I, there were six, seven people uh, that were here. None of us knew the other one was coming up, but everybody was just up here taking care of this. There was somebody cleaning some areas. There was somebody else taking care of something else. There were people all around that were popping in and out, taking taking care of certain things. You wonder how this carpet stays clean? It ain't because we don't ever dirty it, I'll tell you that much. But somebody that doesn't care if their name's even mentioned comes up and grabs a vacuum cleaner. Somebody goes home and studies after a long day's work because there's some young people that need to hear a good godly message on how to survive this world. Somebody decides to get up and get ready and come on to church, even though, you know what? It'd be easier just stay home and watch it online. I, I told somebody the other day, I said, now there's, there's a purpose for that. We've got folks that it's legitimate. That we need it for those folks. But I've had other people say, it's just easier for me to stay home and watch it in my PJs. And I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and tell the next person that says that. I want to invite you to a wonderful meal that I've prepared for you. I mean, steak and baked potato and the best salad I've ever tasted. And then when they come over to my house, I'm going to play a video of that, of that for, for them and, and say, how's that taste? It ain't the same. Watching it as being a part of it. It ain't the same watching a video and I watch plenty of them because I'm trying to perfect some, some smoking tips on, I'm not talking about cigarette smoking tips. I'm talking about smoking a piece of meat on the, on the smoker. Don't anybody go out here and say, Brother Rice is watching a bunch of videos on smoking. Not Marlboros. Talking about good chunk of meat on the smoker. I watch those and they whet my appetite, but they don't fill my belly. It's a good secondary device for when you can't be here, but it'll never replace coming and rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters and serving each other together. I'm pastoring you just a little bit here. I'm not trying to be rude or mean. I'm just stating what needs to be said. Why is there a worker shortage crisis in our nation? Let's pay everybody 15 bucks an hour to go do something that they used to get paid. Well, you know, is that, is that fix it? Well, now we'll be able to go up. How many of us have gone around town in the last two years and seen uh, you've gone and pulled in the parking lot of a place that you wanted to go out to eat, and it's got a sign on the door that said closed due to worker shortage? Paying people more money, you would think that might get more workers, but we've turned a corner here. 
We've been handed a few things for a while. Said it's okay. We've become like those mice as a nation that just sit back and wait for the next handout instead of playing our role. The church does not follow the same protocol that the world follows. The church is called to serve. You are called to serve. I hope I haven't kept you too long today. But I felt this message so strong in my heart. I wanted to share it with you. Don't let anything keep you from your purpose. Don't let pride keep you from your purpose. Don't let a job keep you from your purpose. Don't let hard times keep you from your purpose. Don't even let a failure in life keep you from your purpose. So you've messed up. And the old accuser of the brethren comes in and says, yeah, you don't belong here anymore. You're nothing but a disappointment. You're nothing but a failure. You're nothing but a washed-up has-been of a Christian. You can't hold your head up high, but Jesus is telling you, why don't you come? Why don't you come and fulfill your purpose? Hey, if Paul, as in the lesson this morning, could fill, fulfill his purpose after what he'd done, there ain't a single person in here that has an excuse not to find yourself in the perfect will of the Lord for your life. No matter what the mistake is, no matter what your past has been, no matter what you might have done, God can pull you into the perfect will of his purpose for you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.